So thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us. If it happens to be your first time here, we're excited that you've chosen to check us out today. We hope that you feel welcome. And really, it's our hope that we would help you pursue God today. That's our mission at Alpine Church. We want to help people pursue God. My name's John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Logan, and I'm excited to dig into God's Word with you. We're at about the halfway point of our sermon series that we're calling The Pursuit. The Pursuit is a 12-week discipleship track that we use here at Alpine Church. Not only do we hope that you would know these kind of 12 fundamental things that we're talking about, these, these 12 essential things of the Christian faith, it's our hope that this series equips you to go tell the next person about them. I mean, really, that's our hope with every series, but particularly this series My prayer, my hope is that each and every one of you who have already put your faith in Jesus Christ, that as we go through the series, you would actively be praying about and thinking about who you can take through this, who you can share the good news with. Y'all know the summer's been a busy traveling season, so if you've missed a couple of these messages, I just want to remind you that you can always go back and listen to any of the sermons that we've done on a Sunday. Just go to alpinechurch.org, you'll see the site there. There's a tab up at the top that says resources. If you click that, you'll see a drop-down menu and you can just select Alpine Church Sermons and you can listen to the sermon from any given campus on any given Sunday. If you want to dig even a little deeper, we've been putting together about a 50-minute podcast for each and every one of these sermons in the series, and you can find that at PursueGod.org. I encourage you guys to check those out. Now, we've had some highs in this series, and and I would say kind of one low point so far in the series. We started off with the fact that God is for you, that God desires a relationship with you. We talked about how we can trust the Bible, that it's reliable. In week three, we saw that each one of us are created in the image of God. And because of that, we have immeasurable worth and value. I'd say that was all pretty positive and encouraging and kind of high points in the series. Then in week four, we looked at at sin. And we saw that all of us are broken because of sin. We all have sin. And because of that, our relationship with the perfect, holy God who created us has been broken. That was obviously the, the low point of the series. But then last week, we saw that the answer to our sin problem is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a strategic plan on how to live a better life. The answer to our sin problem is a person, the person of Jesus Christ, that he came so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. And and today, we're heading into what I think is the most pivotal topic in the whole series. And I say that because how we respond to the truth of today's message determines where we go from here. Not only in the next couple of weeks as we go on in the series, and it's going to impact the way that you view and the way that you try to apply the things we're going to talk about, but it impacts your eternity. It depends on whether or not you are an adopted son or daughter of the Almighty God of the universe, or if one day you're going to be subject to His wrath. See, how we respond to Jesus is one of those key moments we look back on in life and we say, that changed everything for me. Maybe you have a few moments like that that you look back on now. Maybe it's when you mustered up the courage to ask that young lady out on a date who ended up becoming your wife. Maybe it's that job you took clear across the country that was risky at the time. Or maybe you quit a job to go into business for yourself and you realize that's 
kind of one of the defining moments in your life, or possibly you broke free from an addiction and you've never turned back. And as significant as those moments are, and they are significant, they pale in comparison as to how we respond to Jesus. Today we're going to talk about getting right with God. We're going to talk about how to be saved. Has anybody ever heard that term? Anybody ever asked you, are you saved? You've probably heard the term, a born-again Christian. Jesus told Nicodemus, a religious leader during his time, that unless someone is born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to talk about how to be a Christian. And I don't just mean the nominal term that so many Americans throw around. I mean, what is the first step in being a genuine follower of Jesus Christ? At Alpine, we use the language, your defining moment. And all of these different phrases are really ways of saying the same thing, that you are trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and a right relationship with God. And we talk at Alpine a lot about pursuing God full circle. We want to make sure that everyone understands the first step in that circle is trusting Jesus for salvation. So that's going to lead us to our first point in today's message, and that's that out of love, God sent Jesus into the world to solve our sin problem. So again, out of love, God sent Jesus into the world to solve our sin problem. You know, this is one of the amazing attributes about God, that He is love. It's not His only attribute. Vicki, you're going to have to just forward through for some reason. Clicker worked great at 9 o'clock. Maybe you guys are the jinx. I don't know what it is, man. It worked perfect at 9. It's not His only attribute. He's also a God of justice. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of mercy. But we wouldn't even really know what love is without God. That's why he sent Jesus. He did it out of love. There was no other reason. He wasn't obligated to send Jesus. He didn't owe us anything. We didn't do anything to deserve it. He wasn't lonely. He had perfect relationship within the Godhead from all eternity past. He didn't need us to accomplish something that he couldn't do on his own. He simply sent Jesus out of love. And more specifically, it was out of love towards us. We read that in 1 John 4.9. It says that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that through him, or so that we might have eternal life through him. He showed it. I'm so grateful that our God is not a God who just talks about loving us, but that our God is a God who demonstrated how much He loved us by sending His Son to die on the cross for us. Anyone can say they love someone or something, but you prove you love someone by your actions. God put His money where His mouth is, so to speak. And when He sent Jesus to the world, He knew exactly what that would cost Him. He knew that Jesus would have to go to the cross, that he'd be brutally tortured and crucified, that God the Father would pour out his wrath on Jesus instead of pouring it out on you and on me. That's how much he loves you. And he did all that while we were still sinners. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't come to him first. We didn't clean up our act. He did all of that when we were actually still hostile towards him when we were still enemies of God. See, God is a relational God, and He wants to draw you into a personal, individual, real relationship with Him. 
And he sent Jesus so that that could happen. And so he didn't send him reluctantly. He didn't send him out of obligation. He sent him out of love. But saving faith requires that we respond to that love. In fact, I would submit that it requires two things. It requires both the right information and the right attitude. The right information about sin and about who Jesus is and the right attitude and attitude of brokenness and repentance. So this is why the last two weeks have been so important. We have to have the right information about sin. We need to recognize that all of us are sinful, all of us are broken, and we can't fix it on our own. The Bible says that every single one of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. The Bible also says that there is no one who is good, no, not one. We're broken in our sin, and the wages of that sin is death. And because God is just, because God is holy, He can't just turn a blind eye to that. He has to deal with it. So he dealt with it by sending his son to die for you and for me. See, we we live in a culture that minimizes sin at every turn. I would say we live in a culture that actually celebrates sin. And in fact, they'll call you names if you dare to point out sinful behavior. But it's really my hope and prayer that as a church, we would be a people who would remember that each and every one of our sins demanded the death of our Savior. That's how serious God takes sin. We not only need the right information about sin, we need the right information about Jesus. We need to know the Jesus of the Bible, not some counterfeit Jesus. We need to know the God-man, Jesus who was fully God and fully man, the second member of the Trinity, born of a virgin. He came and lived a perfect life, never sinned in thought, word, or deed. And then he went to the cross where he paid the debt that you and I should have paid, And he was killed, but three days later he rose because the grave couldn't hold him. And he proved once and for all that he conquered sin and he conquered death for all of us who would put our faith in him. From the very beginning of the early church, in fact, just 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, we see this combination of the right information and the right attitude about sin and about Jesus. We see it in Acts chapter 2, so if you have your Bible with you, do you want to turn there? If you have your Bible app on your phone, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. But But I want to set the context for you of what's going on. So Jesus had just ascended into heaven 10 days earlier, and he had told the disciples to wait until they had received the Holy Spirit. And we see that on the day of Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. The Bible describes it as tongues of flames that sat on them. If you have the New Living Translation, it says those flames settled on them. And the original Greek word that's used there, it's a pretty forceful word in the New Testament. And it carries the idea of completed preparation and a permanence of position and condition. It's permanent. See, unlike in the Old Testament where we would see the Holy Spirit temporarily come upon people to do the work of God... As New Testament believers, you and I have the assurance that the Holy Spirit permanently indwells in us. What an amazing gift from God the Father. And then once empowered by the Holy Spirit, the disciples begin to declare the wonderful works of God in all different types of languages. Because Jews from every nation under heaven had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And they hear these Galileans talking about the wonderful works of God in their own language, and they were wondering, what in the world is going on? 
Some of them recognized that this, this was something special, that God was up to something, and they said, what does this mean? And then others mocked them and said, ah, they're just drunk. <laughs> Some things never change, do they? Even today, we see God do amazing things, and there's mixed reaction. Some people recognize he's at work, and they wonder, what does this mean? Other people mock and ridicule it. And it's in the midst of this that Peter stands up and addresses the crowd, and he says, it's, it's only nine in the morning, we're not drunk. There's probably that one dude in the crowd that's like, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? <laughs> and then Peter goes on, and he gives this message. Really one of the greatest sermons ever given. And I think it's interesting that he didn't even prep for it. When Peter woke up that morning, he had no idea he was going to be preaching to thousands of people. He hadn't been working on it all week. Which should be a great reminder to us that you never know when God's going to call you to share the good news. It might be to your server today at lunch after church. It might be in the checkout line on the way home. See, Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit and he began to give them the right information about Jesus. He tells them that Jesus was a man. In verse 22, he says that Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested by God through miracles, signs, and wonders. And he goes on to tell them that Jesus went to the cross and was killed, but that God raised him from the dead because the grave couldn't hold him. And then in verse 25, he makes the claim that Jesus is fully God. He quotes a passage from Psalm 16, a psalm that was written by David. And he says the following, David says this about him, and the him there is Jesus. So David said this about Jesus. The Lord is always with me. And if you look in your Bible, you'll see that the word Lord there is in all caps. That's the name Yahweh. So he is saying that David got it. David understood that the Messiah is divine. The Messiah is fully God. Jesus is fully God. So we have this right information about sin and about Jesus. Did they have the right attitude? And we see that they did in verses 37 and 38. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Peter's words pierced their heart. Some of your translations might say they were cut to the heart. Do you guys remember the first time you were really cut to the heart with guilt or conviction about something you had done wrong? I remember the first time I was cut to the heart as vividly as if it was yesterday. It happened all the way back when I was in kindergarten. I had a classmate named Tessie, and several of my friends and I called her Messy Tessie. It won't be funny in a minute. And then we had parent lunch day, and I remember seeing Tessie in line with her mom, and her mom only had one arm, and that hand on that arm wasn't fully functional. And as much as a five- or six-year-old kid understands empathy, I realized I had no idea what she went through. And I was cut to the heart with how cruel I had been. I still get emotional about it 40-something years later. See, they were pierced. It would have been really easy for the crowd to respond with defiance, with anger, or even rage. And I would submit that without the Holy Spirit's conviction on his listeners, that's how they all would have responded. I'm sure some of them did respond that way. But many of them were cut to the heart. 
See, Peter had just got done telling them that they and their esteemed religious leaders had missed it. That they had blown it. Earlier in the chapter, these Jews are described as devout Jews who had traveled from all over the world to celebrate a religious festival. And in their religiosity, they missed it. The Messiah that they had been waiting for and longing for and hoping for and praying for for generations, they not only missed him, they killed him. Those would have been fighting words, but they were pierced. The Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So even though you and I have to respond in the right way, we couldn't even do that if the Holy Spirit didn't come in and begin softening our hearts and begin to allow us to hear the truth. But it says their hearts were pierced. And one of the reasons they were pierced is they recognized that their sin killed Jesus. You know, I shared that story about the first time my heart was pierced. I also remember vividly the second time it happened. It was about two and a half years later, and I was sitting in the evening worship service at First Baptist Church of Wachula. Now you guys know why I don't dance at wedding ceremonies. Some habits die hard. You guys don't get the Baptist joke either, man. The 9 a.m. crowd didn't get it either. Come talk to me afterwards. I'll explain that. But I was sitting there and, and Pastor Herschel had just shared the right information about Jesus and about sin and I was cut to the heart because I knew that my sin put him on the cross. I knew that I was hopeless without him. I knew that I wanted salvation and so I responded with the right attitude and many in the crowd did the same thing when Peter shared. They said, brothers, what must we do? They were moved to action. And Peter said, each of you must repent from your sins and turn to God. See, notice his response. It's an individual response. Each of you must repent. This isn't something you can do as a group. One person's repentance doesn't affect the next person. It's not about being a member of the right club. It's not about attending the right church. As much as I am thankful that you worship at Alpine Church, being a member at Alpine Church does not save you. It's an individual decision. And that leads us to our next point, and that's that we are saved 100% by grace the moment we trust Jesus for salvation. It is all Jesus and none of us. That's why one of the shirts that we have for Alpine Church is Jesus plus nothing. Because we don't bring anything to the table. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. That's one of the reasons the gospel is so offensive. There's something in our fallen nature. There's something in our pride that we want to feel like we contributed to it. We want to feel like we deserve it, like we earned it. But we don't. It's 100% by grace. That means we don't do everything we can do and then grace makes up the difference. That wouldn't be 100% grace. Here's how the Apostle Paul explains it in Ephesians 2 verse 8. He says, God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. God saved us by His grace when? When we believed. It happened in a moment. We were changed. And Paul reminds us that we can't take credit for this because he knows we want to take credit for it. I'm sure Paul before he had an encounter with the risen Jesus, wanted to take credit for it. As a Pharisee, Paul was very proud of all his religious works. He was very proud of his self-righteousness. He thought he was earning it. 
He thought he was being worthy, and then he had an encounter with the risen Jesus, and afterwards he would say, all that stuff I thought was important, all that stuff I thought made me worthy, it's rubbish. It's like filthy rags. It doesn't count for anything. So if you're sitting here today, and you feel like you're not worthy of God's grace, welcome to the club. None of us are worthy of it. We have to receive it for the gift that it is. You don't have to be worthy to receive the gift. That's why it's called a gift. If you had to be worthy to receive a gift, there'd be a whole lot of different birthday parties out there, wouldn't there, parents? Right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> that leads us into our, our next point. God offers this free gift to everyone, no matter what you've done. Scripture attests to this in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. It says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. This is the great paradox of the Christian faith. It's the most exclusive and most inclusive faith at the same time. See, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I'm a way. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. He said, I am the way. I'm the only way, period. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved except the name of Jesus. See, we've become so entrenched in postmodern thinking that we think the idea of truth is offensive. We say, well, what's true for you doesn't necessarily need to be true for me, and what's right for you may not be right for me. By sheer definition... There can only be one truth. Do you know what the definition of the word truth is? Straight from the dictionary. Actuality. The state of being the case. Fact. Now you're free to argue there's a different truth. You're free to do that. That's a valid argument. But to say there are multiple truths is illogical. And honestly, you're just being silly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's another reason the gospel is offensive, the exclusive nature of it. But at the very same time, it is the most inclusive faith in the world. Because we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It doesn't matter your race, nationality, gender, birth order, socioeconomic status. You can have peace with God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done. The sins you've committed, the people you've hurt, the people you've left down, the addictions you have, the bad habits you have, you can be made right with God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Even if you're a Ute or Cougar fan, you can be made right with God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He is merciful, amen? <laughs> and who better to remind us of this than the Apostle Paul? Paul was a religious terrorist before he came to Jesus. He split families apart. He imprisoned and had Christians murdered. And yet Paul knew that he had been made right with God by putting his faith in Jesus Christ. When we think about the original audience that he wrote to, he's also reminding everyone that salvation wasn't just for the Jewish people. See, I'm sure in Paul's younger years, he thought that salvation was only for the Jews, but he's reminding his audience that it's for both Jew and Gentile alike. And I hope and pray today that if the devil is trying to tell you that you're the exception, 
that this doesn't apply to you for some reason, that you would know that everyone means everyone. That God knows anything and everything you've ever done and he still longs to have a relationship with you and he sent Jesus Christ so that that could happen. And if you want to respond to that, you might be asking, well, well, what's my next step? Well, we start a relationship with God by personally trusting in Jesus for salvation. We start a relationship with God by personally trusting in Jesus for our salvation. See, putting your trust in Jesus is a personal, individual decision. Your parents can't do it for you, young people. Man, I wish we could. I pray every day that my kids would take ownership of their faith because I can't do it for them. Your friends can't do it for you. Your pastor or your church can't do it for you. It has to be a personal decision. And Paul gives us some more direction about that first step in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Growing up as a kid, the, the translation that I memorized started out, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That word confess there literally means just to agree with. So if you agree with God about what he says about Jesus, so if you agree with what God the Father said about Jesus, if you agree with what Jesus said about himself, that ties into the right information. But also ties into the right attitude when we agree that Jesus is Lord. See, when we say Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is, I used to sit on the throne of my life, now Jesus sits on the throne of my life. I used to call the shots, now he calls the shots. Whatever he says goes. Now, obviously, we're not going to do that perfectly this side of heaven. We're still going to sin. We're still going to fall short. But when we do that, there's a brokenness. There's an attitude of submission to his authority because we want to please him because of what he's done for us. Because of this great sacrifice that he's given for you and for me. And we don't do this every single week at Alpine, but I think this week it's important that I give you an opportunity to respond if you want to respond to this message. And so if you've never personally trusted in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, I want to give you a chance to do that today. I'm, I'm going to put a, a sample prayer up on the screen, and there's nothing magic about these specific words, but they do convey the right information about sin and about Jesus, and they lead us to the right attitude and response. And so I'm going to ask the whole congregation, if you do me a favor, just would everyone bow your head, would everyone close your eyes? And if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and you want to respond today, would you just silently pray a prayer like the following? Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. But I know that you died on the cross and rose from the dead so that I could have life. I'm turning from my sin now and I'm turning to you in faith. I trust in you alone to forgive me of my sin and give me new life. Thank you for this free gift. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with sincerity and a repentant heart, the Bible says something amazing happened. The Bible says that, that you're a new creation. That you are now an adopted son or daughter of the living God. At Alpine, we call that your defining moment. And because you are a new creation, your life is going to take a different direction now. It's going to take a different turn. Again, it doesn't mean that you'll be perfect, but it means that you're going to live a life that seeks to please God, that seeks to honor Him out of gratitude for what He's done. 
And starting next week in this series, that's really what we're going to look at. We're going to spend the next five weeks talking about how do we live this type of life that puts a smile on God's face? How do, we, how do we live a life that honors Him? Not because we're trying to earn His approval, because we can't. But because through the blood of Jesus Christ, He already looks at you and approves. So everything we're going to talk about for the next five weeks, has it's not for our salvation, it's from our salvation. It's because of what God has already done for us. And so I hope you'll come back for the next five weeks as we get into that. I think what you're going to see from, from my experience is that that kind of life is the rich and satisfying life that Jesus said he came to give each and every one of us. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I know sometimes thank you just seems like a shallow thing to say, but really that's, that's all we can say. Because your salvation is a gift. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We didn't do anything for it other than simply respond in faith to this amazing offer, to your grace. God, I just want to lift up anyone here today who maybe prayed that prayer for the first time. Maybe today is the day that you made them a new creation. I just know in the days and weeks to come, there are going to be times when they don't feel like a new creation. And I just pray that you remind them that your truth is more important than how they feel. That they can stand on your promise that you have saved them, that you have rescued them. God, for anyone who felt you calling to make that decision but just didn't quite pull the trigger, God, would you just, would you just be merciful to them and keep pursuing them? Would you please keep drawing them to yourself? Would you please give them the courage to keep asking questions? For those of us who have already put our faith in you, God, I, I really hope that, that as we're navigating this series, our, our hearts would be drawn to who can I share this with? Who, who can I share the good news with? And that the kind of lives that we're living would, would bring you joy. We love you, Lord God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.